So I'm talking to Brian Douglas, somebody who in some ways is instrumental to even just Stoner Morning Show being a podcast. Because last time I saw you when I was in Cleveland, I had a lot of podcast questions for you and you were very eager to share your knowledge. Hey, everybody. Wake up. It's time for Stoner Morning Show. Sit back. Relax. Smoke them if you got them. And now, Stoner Morning Show. Oh yeah, I'm I'm a big I'm a big uh, proponent of podcasts. I want to start doing like podcast clinics around town to just like get old people on them. And oh, that's yeah, that's a worthy service. <laughs> well, you're a very dynamic person. We met in the comedy scene in New York years ago. You're also a mu- musician, and um, you during the pandemic and you know definitely spurned by you said the. Black Lives Movement and the murder of George Floyd. You're now a freelance journalist. Yeah, it was sort of an unexpected turn, um, but it wasn't really overnight. I yeah. uh, my first, I guess, foray into what would be considered journalistic uh, journalist role would be during the primary in in New York in 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I had just quit my job to go full time freelance as a web developer at the time, like right before it happened. And then the primary occurred, and I had like several friends posting about how their regist- they were they've always been a Democrat, but on the day they went to vote, they were told their registration was gone, um, which is echoes of like the kind of shit you know that Republicans did in in 2000 and 2004 to get Bush in through swing states. You know, right. like Florida wasn't about hanging chads; it was about purge voter rolls. Right. And same with Ohio in 2004. So it's like, you know, I just was like, what the hell's going on? And so I showed up at a protest at the Board of Elections the day after the primary and pretty much just fell in with this group, this core group of, of activists, investigators, writers, poll workers, poll watchers who, you know, we were just trying our best to expose all the there's a lot of just shady stuff there, and this is like a whole episode, but to bottle it up, it was like, you know, we were trying to get the New York primary decertified and ended up really being an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the course of that, so it's like what I would do is, you know, I spent hours on the phone getting background information from voter rights advocates like Common Cause or um, talking to people who had shown up to publicly testify about problems they saw. I was curating you know, live stream and clipping it up. I would go to public hearings uh, to ask pointed questions and then provide research to like a team of writers. So we were trying to get articles out. And uh, that was when I just, you know, struck me like a couple weeks in. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm doing a journalism. This is, this is fun. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, it's definitely not overnight. I mean, we, you just took us back quite a few years. I think you did say in your the recent episode of your podcast, um, Beasy Listening, that it has been kind of a dream of yours. Well, yeah, that was when I actually, you know, when I first did that with New York Election Justice, I I I tried to like just put it out there, like, hey, I want to do this, and but I need help, like a GoFundMe or something. But it just it didn't really catch, and I, I and I was not very confident about like you know, there's a certain sort of I don't know. I just felt like, ah, is this like a dipshit thing to do? Like, hey, everybody, I'm going to be a journalist now. But I really loved the work as I understood it, and I wanted to keep at it. But 
ultimately, you know, the savings I had set up to give me a buffer for carving out a freelance career was right. burning up and I had to get, I had to step away. Um, but it always stuck. It always sat with me. It's like, oh, man, that was, I, I would love to find a way back to that. Well, I'm, I'm going to interject a non-serious question real, real quick. Cause I know that you homeschool some kids are you, now that you're doing freelance journalism, will you make these kids start their own school newspaper? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They'll, they'll start, you know, what's funny. Um, I was get when I was, um, preparing for a podcast interview once, uh, the, the boys came in and, and for what, and for whatever reason, they were just kind of curious. And I explained, well, this, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, I'm interviewing someone and, um, you know, what you have to do when you're interviewing someone is, is that your job is to come up with the questions right. so that they answer them. And they, you know, they, they took it in. And then while I was doing my interview, they grabbed the iPad and they recorded a podcast oh. <laughs> where my, my oldest interviewed the youngest. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I had fun explaining to them the job of journalism. Right. Uh, I, I said, well, uh, daddy catches liars. <laughs> well, take us. That is a great lead into um, how you got started on your first official story. You're in Cleveland, my hometown, mm -hmm. and um, you just wrote, recently wrote something for the uh, Cleveland scene. What what all went down over there? Yeah, it's, it, it was really a, a wild ride that I, I did not know I was buying a ticket to. Um, so like, basically, there was at the beginning, early in June, like I want to say like the second or third, I was looking on I was reading a thread on Reddit. Uh, it's actually about Oklahoma City and the and this, this person had this very detailed account of an organizer that they found very suspect and thought might actually be a cop. Um, That's like the worst kind of fake uh, fundraiser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I've been involved in activism too. I mean, that's the other relevant experiences here is like, you know, I, I threw myself pretty deeply into Occupy when that was going on in New York. And I've always been um, close to activists ever since. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I read this and it was like, oh, wow, that's disturbing. And then um, another comment appeared on it. Uh, a guy said, hey, there's this thing going on here in Cleveland. This guy's putting on this uh, Tamir Rice uh, event in the park where he where he was shot. Right. And and it's on, like, I think the anniversary of it, too. But he just called into question this this post that the guy had, like, defending himself against people saying that he was full of shit and didn't have any permission from the family. And um, and I should also say, too, like, before I even saw that, like, so the real, like, start of the rabbit hole was I was looking at I was watching a live stream on Saturday of a protest in Akron mm -hmm. um, that a friend of mine was attending and the rhetoric of some of the speakers just raised my eyebrows. I was like, what is, what is this? This is very outside of the norm of a lot of, of good actions I've seen. What, and I just what, started, was, what was some of the stuff that they were saying? Well, you... they, were, it was, they were doing the exact opposite of, of uh, organizers that I find credible, such as like Black Lives Matter Cleveland. Uh, they were doing the exact opposite of what they said. They said like, you should not be organizing events where the, the point of it is to get cops to kneel or public officials to appear contrite for like a photo op. Mm -hmm. Like that's not real change. That's not helping anything. Right. So it was just kind of vague and, and, and but my, my immediate thing was just like after having the seed of doubt from that Oklahoma City story and the other one about organizers not maybe not being who they were, I just started asking like, 
who who's speaking right now? Who is the organization that's behind this event? And I started digging into them and and I'll just say that their social media profiles did not resemble a, a bona fide activist or organizer, Got someone it. who's okay. doing the work for a while, which was kind of surprising because these these jokers were like had the mayor showing up at their events. They were have no problem getting press. Anyway, so what's funny is that was the first people I was really looking at, and I was frantically just like sen sending stuff to some journalists I knew, like, hey, this is these guys are weird, and I've dug up this. I think this one guy might actually be a cop, because yeah, and that article just broke in a local uh, covering these guys uh, in in uh, the, a local alt called the the Devil Strip in Akron. Mm -hmm. But I've been tracking. That was who I was first tracking. And so anyway, getting back to like my article or how I first got published. So that was the sort of the, my posture initially was just I was looking at some of this stuff, taking these uh, stories seriously. And I've gotten to know a lot of journalists over the years just through various ways. Like some are like play used to be playwrights I did, you know, shows for in Cleveland or things like that. And so I was just trying to get them like, hey, look at this. This, this is weird, right? And every single one of them was like, yeah, and, and you've got pretty good instincts. Or they'd look at like all of like the research I put together in a doc and be like, how long did you work on this? And I was like, <laughs> just like, just like over the weekend. Right. And it was weird for me because I couldn't, I was just like, I, this all happened the Saturday before I was supposed to go on like a camping trip for four days. Mm -hmm. And, and I spent like the whole day just like, digging into this thinking like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so obsessed with, with sussing these people out? And then I spent the whole camping trip just having more back and forths with journalists and, and you know, trying to disconnect but at the same time, couldn't shake this out of my head. What ultimately happened was the, the comment thread on Reddit uh, that started all this and then the one about Cleveland and I didn't just read these. I got in touch with the posters just to find out, like, who they were. Are they just, like, a lunatic that right. posts crazy things? Were they actually And they there? weren't. Yeah, they were, you know, we, we chatted and then eventually spoke on the phone, and they were all, like, very rational, you know, good people that, that you know, I, I as far as I could tell, like, there was no reason to think that they weren't credible just on how they carried themselves. And so I took this Cleveland story and uh, the suspicion and basically sussed it out and busted, busted the guy um, for completely misrepresenting that he had any real relationship with Samaria Rice, Tamir Rice's mother. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to uh, leverage connections. I had to get her on the phone and have a conversation with her and learn all about, like, the, you know, the tenuous connection she did have with this individual, which was basically like his grandparents adopted a dog of hers a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, right. Um, some some guy who just tried to leverage any connection he could to his own yeah. personal gain. And so I I busted him in that lie, and then there was uh, and it's all in the story. Like it's a long, it's all goes back to like the guy just having this Facebook post full of demonstrable lies. And it's mm. like if he hadn't posted that, there'd be nothing I could have like, hey, he said this, and right. I will verify it. Um. And I don't, I can't say for sure why this person did this. If it was clout, they just wanted, maybe they're hoping to kickstart a political career because they have a, you know, going through his like history, it's like he's, he is someone that has like been attentive to politics in, for a long time, you know, had more of a careerist vibe. Right. And it was less about just, the actual problem that's happening. 
we'll plug right now your 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 Patreon because you you are seeking help from from within the community to to fund your your activism and organizing and researching. I actually, you know, I'm working on so and I tried to see this is where I said like I warned you before we talked. I'm like I'll sprawl, man. <laughs> uh, it's fine. But... I'm I'm along for the ride for for this one, you know. Um, yeah this journey came out was like, you know, I, I, I start, I just did the work and I kept telling, you know, talking to journalists, um, a lot of them and some, I didn't even know. Cause I was reaching out to like, I talked with a producer from unicorn riot, which is a really great, uh, um, they cover the movements. Like they did amazing coverage of the Dakota access pipeline. Mm -hmm. They did great live coverage of, of Minnesota. Um, anyone who really wants to just kind of see on un, unfiltered, what's happening on the ground at, at these places follow unicorn riot um how can people find your your patreon also oh yeah well um i'm i'm i write as uh bz douglas and that's my patreon is just patreon.com slash bz douglas uh one s not an i'm not an ass I... what is that is that british what is, what is the last name douglas it's scottish scottish oh all right uh, i had the right longitude ish yeah you're right you're in the right uh, <laughs> yeah. continental yeah. realm um yeah so, so i i was just trying it. to get a journalist to write this story and eventually they just told me like you have everything yeah yeah you should write it and really shepherded me and sherped me through it and scariest part uh was like you know getting confirmation or getting comment from brandon which i got threatened with uh litigation in in our last email so that's good not fun yeah yeah i figure i'm doing something right all, there all right well especially since he would that that was at the tail end of an email where i just i just listed out facts in my story and said would you care to comment on any of these and all he did was lie again and then tell me he's gonna sue me yeah what was it like after you contacted Cleveland scene and they said they were interested and they, you know, you started submitting, I guess, drafts of the article. Was there, um, do they have independent fact checkers on their end? I don't know. I'm just interested in what's oh, it yeah. like behind the scenes at that, you know, once you I got through the door. I was really interested in that too, to find out. <laughs> right. And so one of, uh, it's funny, one of my close friends, he's a neighbor of mine and he, uh, a great docu documentarian, and he has a fantastic film everyone should check out called Huckleberry on uh, Prime and, and other places. But um, so he lives near me and he was one of the first people I kind of just brought into my circle. So, you know, I wasn't going to be posting on Facebook like, guys, guess what I'm doing? Yeah. So I did have a tight circle of friends and he was one of the first ones I brought in. And, uh, you know, I, I showed him all this stuff and I was just like, am I smoking too much weed and he said no you smoke the exact right amount of weed. <laughs> you hit the sweet spot yeah <laughs> and he was the one who put me in touch he had a friend who was a, a former scene writer uh now freelance but still had connections there and so i kind of told you know he was another one that i brought in i told him this is what i'm doing and he helped guide me into and told me like well when you're ready to pitch this is where it'll go but I did learn, like, there's no independent fact-checking, at least, on I guess, on a freelance basis. Mm -hmm. And um, But I was pretty proud of the fact that, like, I, I buttoned everything up. At, like, Thursday at midnight, I wrote up a little pitch email and attached, like, a PDF of my article and a link to it on, like, Google Drive. And I woke up in the morning with an email from the editor of Scene just asking me to fill out a W-9 and a direct deposit. Oh, nice. That was quick. 
was also a bit of a bummer. Or it was eye-opening to learn that, you know, because to do this story, and I know that I was learning while I went, so the time involved might have been more than average, but I don't see any way around, like, you know, this this story took a good, uh, you know, if on a, on a, if you're really sussing it out quick, as fast as possible, it's like, you know, eight hours of work. Yeah. So, yeah, we put it on the work, and I got paid um, $75 for the article, and sort of the scale this the the scale of it is sort of like how many words how you know important of a story is it at the moment but um you know and I don't I'm not this not in any way I'm not shitting on scene for like being cheapskates I think it's the state of the industry right. and, oh yeah yeah and it, you know and it, it's that's what we're like you know like yeah I definitely need patreon support because you know as a web developer I I can charge my freelance clients like between 60 and 75 dollars an hour right um and so yeah that's the tough thing is just knowing like i've got a lot of stories in the queue now and since that first one came out i've really figured out you know how what it is to just go out and find stories you said that you put in eight hours of work for this story but you definitely just from hearing about your past sort of political experience and just dealings i mean you've you've studied for a journalist role you know what i mean like you... i've had the you know the brain thing where it's like you know i can't stop following the news mm -hmm. um and that wasn't always how i was it was really i mean i it, it's very stark for me that it was like it was 9 11 that made me realize like i i don't know a fucking thing about the world all right and so I just started, then I started following it closely and then learning about, you know, U.S. history and then learning, you know, getting into Chomsky and getting into Howard Zinn. And from there, you know, it's been a slow but steady process of, of I guess, sort of left-wing radicalization on my part. Um, and Occupy was a big part of that. And that's one thing as a journalist, um, when I was going into this and I would talk to people, especially people, you know, when I'm a rando coming out of nowhere, um, they're like, okay, who are you? Why are you writing this piece? And I just had to figure out how to answer that question. And I, I just would be honest. I'm like, look, I am, I, I wear my bias on my sleeve. I'm, I'm doing this because I want to help movements for economic, social, racial, climate justice. Mm -hmm. like I, I have skin in the game because I'm a human being. And I, but at the same time, I'm not looking to be a propagandist. That's what I, a cool thing I learned about, like, you know, with reporting is it's the show you want to show, don't tell. Like, I don't tell you how to feel. I will show you all the things that made me feel pissed off and you should feel the same. Because it's it's just a niche that's not being filled, in my opinion. I have a posture where I pay close attention to activists. I take them seriously. Um, I'll listen to them, and because I know that there are a lot of, pro, you know, like a lot of things that go on in on the ground level of activism and organizing and protesting that you just won't see unless you're there as an activist. What's really going on? That's your, your motivation. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. That's what I'm. <laughs> um what? but i'm not I'm, I'm not you know like just the posture of a lot of journalists that are like oh i'm i'm objective and i'm detached from everything it's like i not it's not where i'm coming from with right. this it's it's so i don't know i it's i'm having trouble wrapping my mind I, I, for the like the last three years maybe even longer i I'm, i have so so much trouble sort of 
understanding why certain people are so angry at journalists for telling them stuff that they don't want to hear. And you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of my, um, my, like one of the journalists that I, I followed for a long time and who is definitely not his, become a big pariah with a lot of like mainstream liberals is um glenn greenwald mm -hmm. and he's someone who you know i i really feel a bit vested in his career just because i was reading with him when he was on like blogspot oh, okay, uh, yeah. during the, the bush years and had just the most incisive criticisms of like how the Bush administration was was violating the Constitution, and I was sharing his shit all the time, just like ah, just everybody, this fucking guy, look, 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 <laughs> right. And eventually, yeah, and so then he went on to Salon and The Guardian. He broke the Edward Snowden story, and it was eye-opening for me to watch his his criticisms remained consistent as regard with regard to like the powers of the executive branch during the Obama years, then he became a pariah of all the liberals and the Dem and just uh, the true blue Democrats. Right. And that's that's where so for all... me partisanship just started to dissolve when I'm like, okay, you guys are just as fucking bad if you're saying like, oh, all this stuff is fine. We're all guilty. When of our it. guy does it. Yeah. I uh you know, to keep to think about a recent example, it's uh you know, this recent story about uh Putin was putting a bounty on soldiers in uh, Afghanistan and Trump knew about it and kind of did nothing, you know, the, the fact that people, the fact that Trump supporters are mad about that getting out, it's, yeah. it's almost a, a passive admission that we are angry about having to admit that our guy sucks. You know, really, not, uh, and I'm not uh, saying everyone is guilty of that. It's just, I don't know. It, that's the feeling I get when people get very yeah. upset. Well, and, and, People just get so vested in, in, in their their teams, and uh, I, I studied a lot of – I've read a lot of uh, research about authoritarianism during the Bush years because mm -hmm. I was just trying to understand how these people weren't were, – yeah, were, were being – looking at Bush and being like, yeah, he's fine. And um, so it's like I, you can see like the, the – and, and a really good book uh, is called – it's free. You can read, and it's it's a it's a long-term psychological study called The Authoritarians by Bob Altemeyer, and that was uh, a very eye-opening book. And in general, that just that topic has always stuck in my head is is authority and considering, you know, how it's granted and how people yield to it in different ways. You know, that's a big reason considering that and seeing, like, the, the – deleterious effect of of our civil discourse from partisanship you know i've i'm more of an anarchist now which is one of the most completely misunderstood political philosophies it's absolutely orwellian that you know, everybody thinks it means nobody's in charge and we fucking break it <laughs> right. because it really means everybody's in charge yeah. or, you know like strive for consensus and the only way you get authority is because you actually have demonstrable expertise that everyone, you know, can look at and say it's not you don't have authority just because look, well I won the stupid popularity contest and now I'm in charge. Right. It sounds beautiful that that way. Recently I was talking to, you know, cuz we sometimes do live shows on Instagram and we had a comedian on who is currently in Taiwan and she said that when this started happening there the vice president at the time was I think an immunologist. Um who, you know, 
knows what's happening. You know, it was just sort of uh, that's helpful. Yeah, right, right place, right time. Um, but uh, yeah, distrust of knowledge is just—it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> like it's—I really can't understand why people justify it in their mind, other than, well, I'm just antagonizing the other side, and that's my goal. I think, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff just goes back to, like, you know, people's mistrust, it, while it may be misapplied in a lot of ways, it's not, it's not hard to understand why, you know, people don't, why people don't trust the medical and pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, it's like, I hate how the anti-vax, pro-vax debate has what it's become because it's it's not black and white like that. There are people who are legitimately harmed by vaccines, and it's not about autism. Mm -hmm. You know, Jean Beret is is a, a something you can a, a syndrome that that people I know two people have had it. Doctors will openly admit like oh. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the flu, the flu vaccine can can cause that, and it basically like it's like your your whole body goes into the pins and needles mode, like, and it can and it can cause some lasting damage. But I didn't, I you know everybody I knew who had it had no idea that's even a risk. Right. But that's that's a smaller thing. It's just more that, and I I I have uh, good friends that have worked as pharmaceutical sales reps. I used to build their sales apps in mm -hmm. New York for a stint. And I can tell you, like, you know, the, just the the amount of money they pour into marketing drugs, that is suspect. And and so the, the corrupting influence of the profit motive in things like medicine, you know, I can't say people are wrong to see that and think, like, mm, I can't wholeheartedly trust everything the any, you know, anyone in the medical industry says because there's, you know, this whole corrupting core to it right now especially in america yeah that's a that's a good point that's a very sort of pragmatic real way to look at it what's really going on here that's what you were that's what you're doing <laughs> um what oh, do, you, do you know what you're working on now for your next piece because i know you're still very active in you know protest movement in, in cleveland and just yeah I've got a queue of – so I have three folders right now in my journalism files. I have Shady Organizers, which mm -hmm. my Tamir Rice guy falls into that. And there's I'm, – I'm in contact with activists in, in different cities that are trying to expose similar people that they think are – because I, I think to some degree we're seeing some actions happen that um, – they seem very, like, city-friendly and, and – but and the core message of those events is like this is actually my second story that I published was just there was a protest scheduled in my in my neighborhood in, in University Heights, and this was after I was like okay I'm I'm gonna be a journalist so I grabbed a camera and I grabbed the recorder and I went to cover it, and it was very just by the numbers like they everybody marched from here to there the streets were blocked off the cops were just standing around the mayor spoke. Uh, the only people who spoke were the organizers with the megaphone, and their big message for everybody was just everyone needs to vote and go to town halls more and engage with your public officials. And on a certain level, for this moment and what this, what the, what the, what these protests are about, that felt like victim blaming. Yeah. Like, oh, you guys haven't been voting hard enough. That's why the police are so out of control. And this is the kind of thing that. Activists who are want to be more confrontational, who are more like emotionally 
connected to like the victims of police violence find those kinds of events frustrating right if that's it's, it's if that's going on it's like it's no wonder that people are getting very fed up and frustrated you know what i mean you know what i mean <laughs> like no wonder things are boiling over because you have the opposition that you're fighting against and then people getting in your way when you're trying to fight against the opposition. Well, and I think I think it's just it, it's probably I mean, the Democratic Party is looking to get their hands around this thing and cool it down and just turn it into a, a voter funnel. Mm -hmm. But so I, I was just, you know, watching this and I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to end up covering this. Or And there was two other reporters there. Then this woman just steps out of the blue right when one of the organizers with the megaphone was saying like i don't want another tamir rice i don't want another george floyd i don't want another brianna taylor and then out of nowhere this woman just steps off the sidewalk and, and hollers kenneth smith kenneth smith was shot in 2000 she goes on to just frantically and and, and passionately tell the story and as she started i the organizers said you know they kind of interrupted her a bit and it sounded like they wanted to regain control of the you know the moment and we're like yes and that's bad too they said through the megaphone and that was the only time as a journalist i interjected because i wasn't chanting they kneeled for like a moment of silence i, I wasn't participating at all i was there to observe mm -hmm. um, but at that moment i turned my phone to this woman and walked right towards her and i i just said loudly let her speak mm -hmm. and then there was a fox news cameraman with me and he followed me to film this woman's you know uh impromptu passionate outburst and that felt like that's that's sort of like the role of a journalist that i like to i like to fulfill is pulling focus and using that power to be like this is something everyone should listen to and and so that ended up being my second article was just i used you know the 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 protest that i didn't find very compelling or interesting uh and I just I just focused on her on the most I, interesting thing. Yeah. And I retold and what she was mad about was that everybody had forgotten about Kenneth Smith. He really didn't get bubble up to national coverage. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a terrible story. So I just went in, dug in and, and read all of the coverage that existed about it and found a, a couple of new things. And that was what I wrote up. And and I was the funny thing is. So there was the Cleveland dot com. The plane dealer covered this and uh, the Cleveland Jewish News. Um, both of them, their pieces were just, there was a protest in University Heights and people marched from here to here. And, right. like, and then as mu much as they mentioned her was like a dramatic moment happened when, and they both got her name wrong, yeah. uh, which is surprised because I saw them both talking to her and I, I walked her to her car and got, you know, the same information I imagined. But yeah, they both got her name wrong and she was just this little paragraph like and this weird thing happened like they're reporting on the weather and, and, not, yeah. and not digging into how the weather affects people or how this person was affected you said um kenneth smith is that was that in akron is that the uh, uh no it's in cleveland, Ken, cleveland kenneth smith ken ball he was uh at a club came out and um long story short this this off-duty police officer thought he saw Kenneth Smith involved with uh, uh, people who were allegedly shooting uh, and then came up to his car when he got stopped by other cops, smashed in the passenger side window, dragged him out of the car and shot him in the back of the head. Jeez. And there's some bullshit about like, oh, I think he was lunging for a gun. So right. that's why I had to execute him. <laughs> One of the new th thoughts that I've had recently after this has all come about is, you know, 
prior to the the reinvigorated or, or or pulling the focus on Black Lives Matter, it was always apparent to me that in a survival situation, somebody it fights or flights. That's that's what that's what people do. They're instinctually fighting against the police or fleeing from them. And um, after this all happened, I realized that cops, their survival mechanism is just fight or fight. There's no fight. Yeah. Again, I'm talking to Brian Douglas, BZ Douglas, patreon.com slash BZ Douglas. Is that correct? BZ, the letters? Yeah, BZ was a nickname given to me by a musician I met early on. And he's actually, he's doing great now, Charlie Crackett. He's blowing up. Mm. And I'm super happy for him. But he's the one who, he was crashing me for a bit, and he'd just be in the other room and say, hey, BZ, get in here, listen to this thing I wrote. <laughs> and when I started playing music, my marketing brain kicked in. I'm like, you know what? BZ is going to be a hell of a lot easier for people to find than Brian Douglas. As far as, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I write as BZ um, and Brian, quote, BZ Douglas. Well, if you're listening, look up these articles, and if you're in Cleveland or beyond and interested in helping him out, hook him up on Patreon, even with five, ten bucks a month, whatever you can swing. Um, yeah, and I want to, and anyone who's interested in this, um, I just want to say that, like, you don't need credentials to do this work. You do need, you know, you have to have the mind for it, but, you know, it's like I said, I'm just weaponizing my natural tendency to be obsessed with the news, and I've always had this compulsion to amplify things I felt were undeservedly overlooked. You know, with music, I started my podcast mostly to shine a light on how many amazing grassroots musicians I've come to know just from playing open mics. And then that that's kind of just like, you know, now I'm, I'm just turning that into a career that my natural compulsion is to follow the news closely and to amplify the overlooked. Well, I have two final questions. I don't, I don't want to keep you too long because you do have shit to do. You've got three folders on your journalism desk. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be more of more folders by the end of this uh, summer. But what advice do you have? Because people are getting activated these days more so than any time in the past. And, you know, I, I see people's advice of just sort of like read and, and, you know, educate yourself on what's going on. What's but sometimes I think people will read stuff and then not know where to go from there. What do you have any advice of like if people are f feeling up against a unmovable wall to continue mm -hmm. their activist journey? Like what's maybe Well, I'll definitely say like like you know like there and this is not true of just this moment or any political movement. It, it you have to vet the credibility of your organizers. Mm -hmm. um, and and the way that you do that is like, you know, first of all, seek out people who have been doing activism that you already know. Um, and then anyone who is, especially with this moment and, and they're speaking for the Black Lives Matter, um, and you know, if they have a thing that says with unity, with Black Lives Matter, it's vaguely associated find out if they actually have any connection to the Black Lives Matter organizations or, you know, just uh, organizations that have been dealing with police brutality. It doesn't actually have to be Black Lives Matter because that organization is very different in every city. Um, but the point is they should be connected in some way to actual victims of police mentality or, or brutality. And mm -hmm. they should be, and they should have very pointed solutions they're pushing for. 
um, and demanding, not just sort of a vague thing. So there's a lot of people, like I said, that are, they'll just get in front of a, a movement like this because they want attention or maybe, yeah, they're a careerist right. or, or they can be cops. That is not, you know, the, it's a tough thing for activ activists that, you know, you want to create solidarity and this this feeling of you know we're all in this together but there's a healthy amount of paranoia you ha you develop in organizing because law enforcement infiltration is real yeah um we see it i mean we see it in tv shows and movies like cops go undercover like it's not it's not a imaginary thing i like that you did say seek out your activist friends because every march i've Almost every march I've gone to, it is because somebody invited me. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think we could all reach out to people more if we are, you know, currently doing our own activism. It's like we should be reaching out to more allies, inviting people to participate. Um, any fun stuff you're you're you've been doing over the last two months? We can end on on that. <laughs> you're, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably not playing much music these. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how much my, I'm I'm very at peace with the fact that like my any ambitions I had, I never really had big ambitions for like I'm gonna make it and be a musician. Honestly, I just I love playing. It's fun, yeah. And I love it's an easy way like once you're you're a musician to like you can just move to any town and kind of find a community. You show up to open mics and. So that was nice when we moved from New York to Cleveland. Like we met a big, great artistic community through that. But I, yeah, my ambitions for it as a career, I, it's the same as like acting. Cause I went to school for acting, but then I dropped out cause I was able to get a job doing web development in like 98. And I never really regretted it. Cause I was like, you know, I still like acting and I never had to sell that passion. Right. And I don't have to play any gigs. I don't want to play. Right. And, and, and it doesn't turn into a grind or a job. And I know a lot of musicians, they don't, they don't deal with that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm, I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm satiated just playing. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I'm happy with that. And, and, but this work has been really, really fulfilling. And I, I my, I, my soul was just getting crushed by, you know, the type of what, what web development is and dealing with, you know, graphic designers who think that they're goddamn website is so precious that i have to spend four <laughs> hours going back and forth with them over like the size of a horizontal line and the color of a right. font and having to ha keep caring about things that did not matter and now having the opportunity where it's like oh i just spent all day giving a shit about things that matter and the best thing I, I will say about this shift is i used to just you know i'd work and then i'd always have the fire hose of news open somewhere of mm -hmm. twitter and I just be like, oh, look at that awful thing. That sucks. Can't do anything about it. that awful thing. I can't do anything about it. And now, when I'm working a story, I just get complete tunnel vision, and yeah. I'm just, I'm gonna look at really closely at this one awful thing that I can maybe make a little less shitty. This is gonna come out of nowhere, but um, the other day I saw a GIF that somebody posted on Facebook of a bear walking on. It looked like a trail, and they were walking next to, I don't know if you've seen this, this bear walked next to a pylon that was turned over. Uh -huh. And I immediately thought, oh, the bear's going to put its head in it, and it gets stuck. But the bear uprighted the pylon and then just kept on walking. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And, um, you know, it was a small gesture, but we can all do our part somehow. The, the, this feeling that there's nothing I can do, it's it's poisoned us for too long 
Yeah. So, man, I appreciate and applaud what you're go- what you're going through, and you know, I know that you said it wasn't an overnight thing. It's it, it it's definitely been a longer journey than I than I knew. But um, good for you for you know pivoting well, and adjusting and following your your you know your drive. Um, it's 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 great to hear. Well, and thank you for, uh, you know, what you're doing, too. And, and yeah, and I'll just say uh, another thing is uh, starting a podcast. That was great training for journalism, just in that, like, I learned how to get over any apprehension I had about just cold calling people that I right. wanted for guests. Um, and I, you know, learning how to craft interview questions and to just have organic conversations on the fly about things. I mean, interviewing a source is a different thing than a podcast, but at the same time, podcasting is great practice for it. Yeah, I mean, it's on our side. We've definitely have had the the discussions of like, hey, we're having fun here, and, and we're you know stoned and giggly and, and and silly, but we are also accidentally because we named it Stoner Morning Show. We are journalists in some way as well. Like that, like the two don't have to be. Separate, you know, <laughs> we can Man, smoke. No. We can smoke the right amount of weed too. Exactly. I and I absolutely give credit to pot for you know a lot of you know that's one of the reasons I like smoking pot is because it really emboldens me or makes me see some make connections I don't normally yeah. make. And, he- healing and, and healing and clarity. Yes. Uh, in moderation, like all things, but I, I'll certainly, you know, I'll, I'll give some endorsement to the green for, make, you know, giving me the, the, the stones to make this happen. Yeah, credit where credit's due. Green, the, the, the green is deserving of an award. Why don't we give an award to that? Um, There's like a new like pot award for like journalists <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> the stone, the stony. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of which, everyone yes. should uh, if there's a if there's a role model or someone I'm hoping to emulate and people aren't aware of him, it's, it's fantastic to read about in his work. Uh, I F Stone, because he was another journalist who um, he wore his bias on his sleeve. He was, you know, I'm a socialist right. in the McCar- in the McCarthy years, oh, shit. and was... and he and there's a, a journalism award for him called the Izzy. But he um, he did it all with just five dollar subscribers, and and he was one of the most influential people that maybe not everybody knows his name, but every journalist knows every decent journalist knows who he is. Well, you've you've dropped a lot of. Um, hopefully, people will be rewinding this a few times just to get some yeah. get some of the good names that you've dropped here. And um, well, I'll send I'll send you some links so they can perfect. don't have to, they don't have to search everything. They can just you know you know click. And, and be lazy but informed. Excellent. Uh, all right, Brian, thank you so much. Check out BZ Douglas's uh, articles and Patreon. Uh, let's hook this guy up, and uh, good work. Thanks, Sean. We- this has been another excellent episode of Stoner Morning Show. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media at Stoner Morning Show. Tell your friends. And puff puff pass.